Hey there, welcome to another episode of the Thinking Christian Podcast. This is your host, Dane Kramer. I want to thank you for joining me today. If you'd like to know more about me or this podcast, just go to thethinkingchristian.us. That's all one word, thethinkingchristian.us. There you'll be directed to my website. You'll find all of the previously released podcasts there. Just click on them, download them. And uh, there's some other resources on my website. You can uh, browse around, uh, find out more information about things that I like, whatever. Um, and there's some resources there you are free to use and take whatever whatever you'd like to. That's thethinkingchristian.us. Now also, don't forget that if you're visiting the website, you can always subscribe to this podcast. Uh, you can do that on you know, whatever platform that you like to subscribe to podcasts best. You can go to Apple, uh, Apple iTunes. You can subscribe to The Thinking Christian there. You can go to Google Play. You can go to Stitcher. You can go to Android. Uh, so you can uh, subscribe to this podcast. And what that means is every time that a new podcast is released, it'll be automatically downloaded to your phone, your device, whatever you're using, however you listen to it. And that's a great way to, uh, to stay up to date on the podcasts. Also, you can subscribe on my website. So if you go to thethinkingchristian.us and there on the left side of the screen somewhere, you'll see a little place where you can put in your email address and that anytime there's an update to my website, such as a podcast, you'll be uh, alerted um, that there's an update and you can, uh, so you can, that's another way you can kind of stay up to date. Okay, well, let's take a look at today's subject. Did the thief on the cross die during the Old Covenant or the New Covenant? Now, if you're like me, you look at that title and you think, what difference does it make? I mean, I, so what? And, and that's exactly my feeling on this. So what? I don't care. I really have nothing vested in this. I have, I have no dog in this race. I mean, there's, there's, there's nothing about this that even interests me. Well, there's something that interests me, but I mean, there's just nothing there that, that I'm really vested in. So why am I talking about it? Well, there are some people who are vested in the answer to this question, and those who are vested in the answer to this question take a position which I think is incorrect. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to talk about it like that. Now, um, two episodes ago, I, I talked about baptism. And uh, if you haven't listened to that uh, episode, I'll invite you to go back and download um, uh, the, the talk on baptism. I, I shared my insight or yeah, my insight, my, my thoughts on baptism and uh, the perspective that I have. I've never really heard anybody teach before. So it, it's sort of something that I developed. It's how I see the scriptures. I've never, never heard anybody talk about it like that. And I just want to share with you my thoughts on it. And in that episode, and I'm not going to go over everything, but in that episode, I talked about how I came about to that. Uh, thinking, and it's because uh, in the um, Christian churches, the Circle of Christ, or the, sorry, the Church of Christ, Christian uh, churches, Disciples of Christ, which I'm affiliated with now, they take a different view of baptism, different than I do. And so, um, as I was exposed to those, uh, this, this church and, and their view on baptism, and I disagreed with it, but I really had to know why I disagreed with it, and that caused me to research it, and that's, that caused me to come up with my conclusions on baptism. Now, today's topic actually is somewhat related to that topic of baptism. I said earlier that there are some people who are very vested in the answer to the question of today's podcast. Um, 
And well, let me take it back here. A couple of years ago, I was listening to a debate. Uh, actually, I was listening or watching on YouTube. I can't remember. It was on YouTube, but it was a debate between a uh, Church of Christ pastor and another pastor. I, honestly, I just can't resolve or recall who it was. Um, but he was. They were debating baptism, and the um, the non Church of Christ pastor he. He tried to use as an example, and he said, well, what about the thief on the cross? He said he he was not baptized, and yet he was saved. And now this whole argument was because a lot of the uh, people in the Church of Christ churches believe that a person is saved in baptism. In other words, baptism, in the act of baptism, your sins are washed away, and you get the Holy Spirit. And if you don't get baptized, those things don't happen. So uh, it's essential uh, to be saved. It's essential to be baptized uh, uh, to be saved uh, for those reasons. In other words, something happens in baptism that otherwise would not happen. So um, the, the person in this debate said, well, what about the thief on the cross? He, uh, he was not baptized, yet he was saved. And the response that was given to him um, was a response that came, uh, well, the the man quoted Hebrews 9, uh, verse 16, which says, for, there, for where there is a testament, there, also, there must also of necessity be the death of the tester. In other words, what he said was, according to the Bible, uh, for a testament to go into effect, the tester uh, must die. And Jesus had not died yet when the thief uh, was saved. He was saved, and then later Jesus died. And therefore, because the testament needed the death of the tester, uh, the New Testament wasn't in effect yet. So his response to the, what about the thief on the cross, was he was saved in the Old Testament, not the New. And um, the uh, it was interesting in this debate, the man who handled, handled the response to this, in my opinion, didn't do that good of a job. Uh, he fumbled around through it, and he really didn't have a great response. And if I was assigning points to whoever won that debate, I would give it to the Church of Christ pastor. I thought he did a better job. Not that he um, had a better position. I, I actually don't think he did. But uh, he actually handled himself better in the debate and uh, was able to throw this point out, and the other man didn't know what to say to it. But I think there is a response, and that's what I'm going to talk about. Not that it matters to me, but it matters to a lot of other people. When the thief on the cross was saved, was it in the old covenant or was it in the new covenant? Now, if you're not familiar with the thief on the cross, uh, in Matthew chapter 27, when Jesus was crucified, we read that he was crucified between two thieves, one on his left and one of his right. And actually in Matthew chapter 27, we read that initially both of the other criminals, those who were being executed that day, they began to sort of make fun of Jesus, mock him. They said, you know, save us, save yourself, and things like that. And uh, they were kind of joining the crowd in their mocking of Jesus. But in uh, Luke chapter 23, which is the parallel of the crucifixion, parallel account, I should say, the um, one of the thieves who was crucified next to Jesus apparently had a change of heart. Although he begins to rail against Jesus, he apparently changes his mind. Um, and I, I think this is a remarkable thing. I mean, it's just an amazing thing to think about. Here, here this thief was. He's, he's nailed to this cross. He's dying. And the man, let's say to his right, I don't know if Jesus was to his right or left, but the man, let's say to his right, is nailed to the cross and he's dying. And 
what he says to Jesus is, uh, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And I think it's remarkable because to look at Jesus in that moment, there's nothing about him that would tell you he's a king. I mean, he's nailed to wood and he's dying. Matter of fact, he's dying more rapidly than the thief is dying. Um, he's suffering. He's dying. And there's nothing about this guy, in my opinion. There's nothing about Jesus that would lend itself to make one think, you know what? I, I want to go with this guy. And I want to be counted with his group. Uh, you know, he's not a conquering king at this point. He's, well, it doesn't appear to be a conquering, at least from the world stand, standpoint. He's not a conquering king. He's not a victor at all. I mean, he's a victim. He's being crucified. But yet, this man has a change of heart. Uh, evidently, the Holy Spirit was at work in him. And um, he saw something in Jesus that made him think, you know, I, I want to be with him. I have no clue what it is. I, we don't have much insight. We don't have any insight to what's going on in his head. But in any event, he says to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And I believe that that man was saved at that moment. Now, some believe because he was saved at that moment that he was saved in the Old Testament. And they say that because Jesus hadn't died yet. And according to Hebrews 9.16, the death of the tester is needed for the new covenant to be enacted uh, or to be, you know, sort of to inaugurate it. And, and, you know, I think in one sense that that's true, but I'm going to offer another position. And I don't know if I'm right. I, I guess I could, you know, I could be wrong on this, but I see it differently. Um, if you go back to Luke chapter 22, Jesus and his disciples are in the upper room. And uh, they're celebrating the Passover, this ancient Hebrew meal. At some point in the Passover, probably near the end of it, Jesus kind of breaks protocol. He he departs from the tradition of the Hebrews and, and initiates something brand new. He takes the bread. And instead of saying this is the bread of affliction that our, our, our fathers ate in, the, in, the, um, in Egypt, he said, this is my body. Uh, and take and eat this. And then he takes the cup. And he said, uh, this, this is my blood of the new covenant, this cup. This cup that represents the blood of the new covenant. And he invited his disciples to eat it and drink it. Now, what's interesting is that language, it's, it's not identical, but it's very similar to what Moses said in Exodus chapter 19, I believe it is, when he, um, when he inaugurated or when God inaugurated the old covenant through Moses. And, and repeated by the writer of Hebrews in, in Hebrews chapter 9, when Moses took it, he said, this is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded. Um, very similar language. And so similar is it that I get the sense that Jesus was inaugurating the new covenant there in the upper room when he said, this is the blood of the new covenant. This is it. You know, all through the Old Testament... Um, the prophets especially, they kept looking forward to something new coming. God was going to, God was going to initiate something new for the nation of Israel. In fact, in, in a number of times, um, it was called the new covenant, uh, that a new covenant was coming. And I believe the disciples knew about a new covenant uh, coming. They didn't know much about it, but they knew something new was coming. And there, in the upper room, in Luke chapter 22, Jesus announces it. This is the new covenant. Now, I suspect because the language is so similar 
to when Moses offered the covenant to to Israel in Exodus chapter 9, that that is when the covenant was initiated. But someone might say, but wait a second, what about Hebrews 9 and verse 16 that says that the the tester, the one who makes the covenant, uh, is not enacted, uh, enabled until he dies? Well, yeah, what about that? Um, if you would read just a few verses later, because it's really important, in in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 19, it says, For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the book, excuse me, took the blood, he took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet wool and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded to you. And commanded you. Uh, the writer of Hebrews is actually describing how the old covenant was inaugurated. But did you catch the part about the blood? He said, took the blood of calves and goats and sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant. And yet, just a few verses before that, three verses before that, the writer of Hebrew Hebrew tells us, that the testor, that's the one who initiates the testament or the covenant, has to die before it can be inaugurated, before it can be you know, enabled or in effect. And then three verses later, he tells how the old covenant was in effect and God didn't die. In, in Hebrews chapter 9, calves and goats died. Moses took the blood of calves and goats and sprinkled it on the people and that is how the Old Testament was inaugurated. That's how it began, with the blood of calves and goats. Now, when you read this passage, you can only come up with one of three conclusions that I can see. Okay, one of three. One, Moses um, initiated a covenant between the Hebrews and calves and goats. Two, the... the, uh, covenant between the Hebrew people and God was never inaugurated, it never began, it never went into effect, or three, the writer of Hebrews doesn't take himself literally when he says that the testor must die. Okay, so three, three, three conclusions. Either the Hebrews made a covenant with goats, or, they, or God never made uh, finalized the covenant with them. Now, I don't think anybody is going to agree to the fact that the Hebrew people made a covenant with calves and goats. I think we can safely re- take that one out of the way. And I think everybody would agree that the Old Testament covenant was, in fact, in force. We have plenty of passages that would tell us that God uh, had expectations of Israel because of that covenant. So that covenant was in force, which leaves us only with one last conclusion. And that is that when the writer of Hebrew tells us that the testor must die, the writer himself doesn't see that literally. Why do I say that? Because three verses later, he tells us that the blood used was that of calves and goats. Okay? Now, if that's the case, if the writer of Hebrews doesn't see that as being literally, necessarily literally fulfilled, then there's no reason to believe that when Jesus' covenant, the new covenant, was initiated or inaugurated with with us, that it must also be literally fulfilled in that moment. I mean, why should I? The first covenant wasn't literally fulfilled through the death of the testor. Now, Jesus did die. I'm not going to argue the fact that he, he didn't. I mean, he did. He died. 
but the language that Jesus used in the upper room in Luke 22 is so so much like the language used by Moses that I get the sense that the new covenant went into effect then in the upper room hours before Jesus was going to be arrested and then subsequently crucified that is when the new covenant went into effect and his death which would come by later was seen symbolically in the in the blood or excuse me in the cup the wine that he shed, that they shared with his disciples just as the blood that Moses sprinkled on the people came from goats it was symbolically uh, it was the, the, it was symbolically understood as God's blood, or, or at least the, the blood that God had wanted to be shed. I hope that makes sense, and it might sound a little confusing. And even as I'm saying it to you, I feel like it could be confusing, and I don't want to make make it any confusing. Uh, I don't want you to be more confused when you leave this podcast. I, uh, I don't want you to say, "Wow, I just spent 20 minutes with Dane, and I'm now more stupid than I was before." Um, but I'm just pointing out that the similarities between Jesus offering the new covenant in Luke 22 is just like, or not just like, but very much like Exodus 19 when the new, the old covenant was offered and that the blood was symbolically offered in Luke chapter 22. There's every reason I believe to believe that the new covenant went into effect in Luke 22 hours before the crucifixion and Jesus' death. Therefore, it would seem that the thief on the cross became saved after the beginning of the new covenant. He was one of the very first Christians who died under the new covenant, as I see it. Now, what impact does this have? Well, going back to that debate that I listened to a long time ago, the man suggested that the that the thief on the cross was not baptized, and I do <clears throat> excuse me, I do agree, he was not baptized. Uh, yet he died in the new, and he excuse me, he was saved in the new covenant. You know, I said earlier that this subject doesn't mean anything to me, and it doesn't. I don't care. I honestly don't care if the thief died or if the thief was saved in the old covenant or the new. But I know that there are some who do care because what they're trying to do is pin a doctrine that's really important to them on this passage of Scripture. And I don't think the Scripture supports it. I think sometimes we get in trouble when we have these little pet doctrines, these theological little issues that we try to really make (laughs) our little pets. We go after things sometimes that just aren't that important to God. And um, I think that's I think that's wrong. I think we need to also read the scriptures and just try to understand them for what they say without trying to import what we believe to be true in them. And be ready at any time to disregard and to discard these little pet doctrines that we like to carry around. Well, that's enough for today. Thanks uh, for listening. Thanks for downloading this. And I'll see you the next time on the Thinking Christian Podcast.